I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome back to the Camera Podcast, Pubs, Pints, People, for another week of Red Hot Beer Chats. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, my name is Matt Bundy, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Ant Fiorillo and Katie Wiles. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello, Matt. This week, we're going to be learning all about Belgian beers. May we, may we. Fantastic. <laughs> now, you remember we talked a few weeks ago about US beers, didn't we? We had an American beer special, and they're, and they're very much on the experimental end of the brewing spectrum. But I think here we're kind of heading back into classic European brewing territory. Yeah, it's really funny you say that, actually, because I think Belgium and, and American beer styles actually my favourite brews in the world because both countries really embrace, like, strong beer and really big flavours. The very first beer that I fell in love with was a Hoe Garden. I remember after four years of drinking Bud Light at uni, I tried a Hoe Garden my final year and was like, oh, beer can taste nice. Do you know what? I do enjoy Belgian beer. It's not something that I go out and seek to buy, but you know when you get a mixed case of something and, and there's usually a Belgian beer in there or if you're traveling uh, abroad I've always enjoyed them when I've had them particularly with food I do prefer the blonde beers over the dark mm. ones but again both are dead tasty and you're absolutely right in them being full of flavor and really original Definitely. Well, I've actually got a friend who lives in Brussels, so I've got lots of very happy memories of nights out there. I say memories, you know, you have a few of those, uh, <laughs> <laughs> those heavy Jaded ones, and memories. perhaps some, yeah, more blurred memories. Uh, happy memories, though. I always said I like a lot of variety, I like trying new things. And there's a place there called the Delirium Cafe, which has the biggest menu of beers. About I think it's actually the Guinness World Record holder, Ooh. something like two thousand odd beers uh, that you wow. have there. And the menu is amazing. It's the size of one of those novelty checks you get when you win the lottery it's that, <laughs> that big and it kind of unfolds out <laughs> two thousand things there so and i think that's just for me that's what belgian beer is all about that the fact there's always lots of different ones to try it's interesting about this over two thousand beers you, you do wonder about how much of that inevitably gets wasted because surely it doesn't always all go beer's got a relatively short shelf life well, my best mate i really i really try my best <laughs> it's a lot to maintain is what i'm getting at isn't it it's probably a lot of bottled beers yeah. over there as well i've been quite spoiled actually because i've had the chance to drink in belgium with tim webb who's going to be on the program oh, later <laughs> along with quite a few other beer experts i had that really british experience of going to a belgian beer bar and having two beers and realizing i was <laughs> completely off of it <laughs> because they're all 12 percent ABV. Yeah, so um, I'm a big fan of Belgian beer. Before we go any further into Lambic land, we're going to be heading up to Manchester to chat with camera volunteer 
and chairman John Clark. Now, John's a dedicated Belgian beer lover and he's going to be talking us through some of the different beer styles from Belgium. And after that, we'll be picking Tim Webb's brains, Katie's travel companion, Tim Webb, <laughs> who's a well-known beer writer. He wrote the Good Beer Guide Belgium, as well as a world atlas of beer, beer breaks and more books. So that's a pretty decent CV in the world of Belgian beer novel. <laughs> I wonder how he explains all of these trips to his family, saying, listen, I've just got to go and write a good beer guide for this specific country, and that's going to entail me going and drinking a lot of beer there. But I'll be back soon. It's OK. Honestly, I've got the world atlas of beer here, and uh, it's just, I flip through it and I'm like, like this jammy, jammy kit <laughs> gets to go family. every single country and drink beer. <laughs> well, somebody's got to, eh? Now, before we jump into all of that, listeners, we've got a huge favour to ask you, please. We want to survey you, OK, to get some feedback on the show. Do you like us? Should we be doing something <laughs> different? We've stuck a survey link in the show notes below and also up on our Twitter feed. So give it a look, share it and let us know your thoughts. Absolutely. You know, we create these for you, our wonderful listeners, and we're just really interested to hear what you want and to hear how we can improve things. Definitely. So without further ado, here's Adam Taylor, who's sitting down with John Clark to discuss the different types of Belgian beer. Learn and discover. I'm here with John Clark, chairman of the South Manchester and Stockport branch of Camera, and we're here to talk about Belgian beer. Can you kick us off by telling us how you got into Belgian beer? Oh, that was a long time ago. I think my first visit to Belgium was in the late 80s, very early 90s, with the High Peak Camera branch. And that was my first real encounter with a lot of Belgian beer. And I kind of fell in love with it from day one, in a way. A long-time love affair with Belgian beer for me. Did you have one particular beer that hooked you in, or was it just the culture in general? It was a gradual introduction in a way. I think two of the first beers we remember having are, was a particularly very sour, acid, raspberry lambic at a, a place called uh, Driefonteinen in a place called Beersel, and also a uh, Vesemala double, totally opposite end of the spectrum, a kind of dark, rich, soft Trappist beer. Can you just give us a brief overview of the Belgian styles? With one notable exception, which is the lambics, Belgian brewing The basics of it are the same as in the UK, top fermenting ales, bottom fermenting lagers, industrial lagers. I think the thing about Belgian beer is not so much the method, but the huge variety of styles. There are the Trappist breweries who make, there's no real Trappist beer style. They make a whole range of uh, different beers uh, from uh, the Orval, uh, which is the sole product of the um, Orval Trappist brewery. Very much like an ale. I think one person has rec- have said it's almost like a 19th century British IPA. It's a crisp, uh, big, um, full-bodied hoppy beer with a touch of Britannomyces wild yeast in it, if it matures. There are wheat beers, the white wheat beers. Uh, Hoogarden was the first big international uh, wheat beer. Strong blonde beers. The Belgian stouts are interesting. Historically, I think a lot of Belgian stouts were quite sweet, but now they're leaping onto more of the international imperial stout style. But what I do like about a lot of Belgian breweries is even if they adopt international beer styles, because you can go around the world and have an IPA and it can be made anywhere, they tend to adopt international beer styles and give them a bit of a Belgian twist. Particularly yeast, a lot of Belgian yeast can give beer quite a spicy note without adding spices. Some Belgian brewers do like to add spices to the beers. Some are a bit too keen on it for good measure, really. I always think if you picture in your mind what a Belgian beer tastes like, it's all down to that yeast. 
Oh, yes. I mean, that is really a defining characteristic because a lot of breweries around the world now who make Belgian-style beers, they do use yeast which have a Belgian origin to give that distinctive taste. I mean, Saison is a fantastic Belgian beer style. I really love a good Saison. A pale, about 5 or 6%, should have a nice crisp, dry finish. Although that style is perhaps an early 20th century invention. If you look historically, Saisons were very weak. But the Saison style has captured the imagination of craft brewers around the world. Unfortunately, they've taken the style and made some very successful versions of it, but also some not-so-successful versions. And it's been quite used and abused. It's very easy for a brewer to say, look, I brewed a beer with a Saison yeast, I've made a Saison. And the answer to that is, well, OK, well, go and look at some of the ones in Belgium before you say that. And, of course, we've not even touched on the unique style to Belgium, which is Lambic. You either really get lambics or you don't get lambics. Uh, I'm a big fan. Uh, and they are unique in the world of beer. I mean, forget everything you know about brewing with lambic. When you brew beer, you, you mash the grain to get the sugars out. Then you boil it up with your nice hops. Once you've done that, you put it into a fermenting vessel, add your house yeast and let it ferment away for, what, six, seven days? There's your beer. Forget about that with lambics. I mean, they use a different type of mash. It's called a turbid mash, which is very thick. They use about 40% wheat malt in it. Once they've done that, when they boil it up, the hops they use are old hops because they don't want any hop character in the beer. And then they don't carefully inoculate it with their house yeast. You pump it usually into a big open tray called a cull ship at the top of the brewery where wild yeast and other organisms drop into it overnight, which sparks a spontaneous fermentation. And these beers then go into oak casks for a period of years and they mature and develop and get different characters as years progress. And then you can either sell them as young lambic, about 18 months old, or old lambic, a couple of years old, neat. It took me a long time to get into that because it's flat. But a lot of lambic is blended. A blend of young and old lambic makes something called gurs, which is a kind of champagne of the beer world, really. And then fruit can be steeped in it, traditionally cherries or raspberries, to make creek or framboise or frambozen. The best ones are very sharp, very sour, can be very dry, and they are very much an acquired taste. Beer writer Tim Webb once said, have a bottle of Gers, think it's the worst thing you've ever had in your life, then have another one just to make sure, and you may well be hooked at that stage. So with these styles that are traditionally Belgian, are they quite strict on the beer being brewed in a certain way? Well, not really. There's no Reinheitsgebot in Belgium because they're known for their variety, their invention. They're taking a beer style and doing their own local spin on it. But there's no hard and fast rule as to how you should brew in Belgium. Of course, you get industrial brewing. You get lager factories, for want of a better word. Because I think it's easy to forget, Belgium is not a nation full of beer connoisseurs sitting in their corner cafes sipping uh, elegant, strong blonde ales or Trappist beers. Most beer drunk in Belgium is industrially produced Pilsner-style beers. Like most of the world, that style has taken over the country. But the thing about Belgium is it still has this vibrant culture. The Belgians are very proud of their beer. And I think there's more of a interest in traditional Belgian beers now, the you know, what you might call the good stuff, as opposed to the you know, the multinational lager style beers. You could almost anything that's any weird ingredient used in craft brewing around the globe today, if you dig around, you can find a Belgian beer that's historically been made with it or was made with it in the past. So I think unlike a lot of other beer cultures, which are becoming a bit identikit in terms of the beer could be made anywhere around the globe, get a Belgian beer and nine times out of ten, well, more than nine times out of ten, you'll know this is from Belgium. And how 
big has the influence of Belgian beers been on the British beer scene? Not as much as you might think. I know some of the British interpretations of Belgian beer styles have been very good. Uh, Buxton Brewery, for example, did a range of Belgian beers, which are excellent. I mean, back in the day, there was the Passageway Brewery in Liverpool in the 1990s who brewed a range of Trappist-style beers using yeast from the Chimay Trappist Brewery. And they were probably the first genuinely authentic Belgian beer styles made in the UK. There's a brewery start, just about to start up in Suffolk called De Vossen, uh, which means the Foxes. And they are going to produce solely Belgian-style beers with the looks of it. And that sounds quite an exciting prospect. There's a brewery up in near Aberdeen uh, called Six Degrees North, and they do a lot of Belgian-style beers very, very successfully. It's not taken over the British brewing industry, but certainly there are one or two breweries around who either emulate Belgian beer styles or are inspired by them and do it very well. There's still quite a fair few Belgian bars around in the UK. How well do you think they capture that essence of a Belgian bar? There's a free house in Suffolk called the New Oxford, which is the Belgian bar. It has a vast range of Belgian beers. And Tim Flynn, the owner, tells me he sells huge amounts. Well, Altrincham is a bit of a centre for Belgian bars, uh, which is a town in Greater Manchester. Of course, there's something called the Belgian bar. There's a bar called Le Trappiste, which is downstairs, which sells mainly Belgian beer in a very nightclub-y, fin de siècle Belgian atmosphere. Lots of drapes and dim lighting. It's fantastic. And the guy who owns that also owns a little shop called Beer Cell, which sells lots of imported Belgian beer as well. So... Uh, I, I think there aren't a lot of dedicated Belgian beer bars around, but those that are around are run by huge enthusiasts, so they tend to get it right. Learn and discover. Well, there we are. I tell you what, I learn an awful lot there. I would consider myself, I started off, you know, that interview as a novice, really, in the world of Belgian beer, as a beginner, if you will. And now I feel like I'm an expert. Uh, there are just so many different styles. And I mean, he's he's provided a really good list there of uh, Belgian beers that are available in the UK that we should all give a try. I mean, to be honest, there's just so many opportunities to mispronounce names. Yes. I feel like I, I, just, I just need to, re- I'll reel a few of them off. So what was it? So we got Saison de Pont. Mm-hmm. Westmaller, Trappist, Rodenbach Flemish. That seems like something that Ant should say with your rolling R's. Go ahead, Ant. <laughs> Rodenbach Flemish red or brown ale. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I love that. There's so many options there. I'm definitely going to go through that list and tick them off. I'm a particular fan of the Trappist beers, which are actually brewed by monks across 14 different monasteries. So they originated in Belgium and you have to be recognised by the International Trappist Association to have that accreditation. And I had the chance to visit the only Trappist brewery outside of Europe, which is located in Spencer, Massachusetts. Ooh, what was that like, Walsy? It was really amazing. So Father Isaac showed me around. They don't actually open to the public, so I had a personal tour. And their brewery was this state-of-the-art, absolutely amazing place. Apparently they were in talks with the Belgians for nearly two years before they were able to get on board because they were quite sceptical about how Americans would be able to carry out the Trappist tradition. But once they all agreed, they got unlimited technical support to set up the brewery. It's totally state-of-the-art. I 
drove down there once when I was visiting home. It was like an hour and a half away and I really, really enjoyed it. It was really good fun. Well, there you go. The next time you're at Father Isaac's church and he's sending the offertory tin around, you know where that money's going. So are they monks that live in Massachusetts? Yeah, they're part of the Trappist Association. They used to make jam <laughs> and then they decided to r- ramp it up to beer. <laughs> I like the fact it feels like kind of a secret society of monks, you know, working together around the world to make the world a better place with beer. You know, it's nice. Yes. It's a lovely thing. I liked how John was saying that Belgian breweries kind of take international styles and then adapt them with a Belgian twist as well. You know, it's we, we kind of think of them as having their centuries-old traditional airs, but it shows that they can give their take on small modern styles. And I also liked how international breweries kind of attempt Belgian styles. It's almost like a kind of an exchange of technology and styles. I particularly like Saison, which I don't know if you know, guys, is actually French for season. It's a master of languages, Matt Bundy. On the, uh, <laughs> on the thing again. I, I genuinely Googled that just as I was looking at it. And I, felt so, I felt so stupid when I went, yeah, of course it is. Yeah. For some reason, I thought it was session. <laughs> I thought it was session as well, like a session yeah. beer. So, yeah. But, yeah. Maybe it is. Maybe Google's wrong. No, no, I'm sure well, it's wrong. No, but, uh, you, should, you shouldn't feel embarrassed, Matt, because I'll, I'll let you into a little secret here. And, and my friends are not going to let me live this down ever, I don't think. We went to Paris for the Euros a few years back. And uh, we went into a pub and I asked for a pint of O, oh, thinking it was a, an ale. And they went, it's water, that. That's that's water. <laughs> yeah, you, it's water. And me, me, me just went, yeah, I'm thirsty. <laughs> Enjoy your red. water. That's yeah, one for the lads to, to, to rip on me again. I'm, I do like that with some styles, though, in the interview. I think it was uh, Lambic he mentioned, mm. where you may need to give it more than one go before you can really appreciate or fall in love with it. I think we've all been there, haven't we, where there's an acquired taste at first, for sure. I remember I've been on so many different beer tastings where they said, have a sip of it, but go off the second one as well because you, you get a completely different experience the second time in. Yeah, I, I don't think I actually ever gave a Lambic a second taste. <laughs> <laughs> it was offered to me by a bunch of beer experts and they were just rolling over laughing at my expression <laughs> when I tried it. <laughs> so sour. Well, I'll tell you what, we want to hear from all of you out there. Let's hear about your favourite Belgian brews and which ones you tried before. What do you think of Lambics? What do you think of all the other styles? Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So give us a tweet. It's at Pubs Pints People, as always. And we'd love to see some pictures of you enjoying Belgian beer as well that's always a treat we certainly would we always get pictures sent through so do continue to do those now before we head into our next interview we have a recipe from sue this week it's mussels with now bear with us beer and bacon now, she must have heard me saying something how much I love the sound of fishy beer last week, Sue. I mean, you know, what are you, what are you doing to us here? <laughs> so Sue tells us that after slurping Duvel in my last recipe, I'm staying in Bruges. It boasts some of the world's finest eateries. The city's two defining dishes are beef in ale or a moules in fleets. Everyone, except the French, knows that beer is much better than wine with seafood. There you go, Aunt. <laughs> it's just been one of life's greatest pleasures to sit outside a cafe in Bruges, the majestic main square, on a sunny day admiring stately medieval architecture while smart waiters whiz about delivering huge cauldrons of mussels. Yeah. To cook the dish, she says she always uses a Belgian wheat beer. A classic pale hoe garden with citrus and spice remains one of the best. It's equally good in the glass, though a dark stout as contrast does it too. Doesn't that sound magnificent? Can we all just stop on a plane now and go and get ourselves a Cauldron of mussels. Or just I a Eurostar. Know, I don't think <laughs> well, yeah. I, 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 do you know what? I'll walk it. I don't mind. 
Is there an air corridor straight to a pub in Brussels? We'll share that beer and mussels recipe in the show notes and on What's Brewing as always, so you've got to check that out. Have a go at it. Send us a tweet, Pub Spines People, with you enjoying your mussels on a sunny day. Now we're going to head over to Adam Taylor once again. He's sitting down with beer writer Tim Webb for Desert Island Beer. Desert Island Beer. Hi, Tim. Thanks for joining us. Can you just kick us off by telling us about how the Good Beer Guide Belgium came about? Back in the 80s, beer was just starting to take off and become very sexy for the first time. And lots of things happened over a short period of time. We had camera started inviting foreign brewers to the Great British Beer Festival. Some countries started getting interested in what was happening in the UK beer scene. And West Flanders tourism decided to take a group of beer writers across to Bruges for three or four days. I think that was my first time in Bruges, and Bruges is a very seductive city, and it proved to be a fantastic trip. And we were sat in the bar of the Brooks Beertje, probably about one o'clock in the morning, and there was Michael Jackson, Roger Protz, I think Neil Hansen, who was then editing The Good Beer Guide, myself, a few other people. And in the course of two hours, we decided that there was going to be a guild of British beer writers that was really going to start putting beer on the map. We were going to start a publishing company in camera, and we were going to write a good beer guide for Belgium. And I think that was a pretty productive evening. We commissioned somebody to write the book, and it took about 18 months. And when the manuscript came in, it was could have been better. It was reaching a time when my career was having to go into being quite serious and I knew I was going to have to give up the beer stuff while I did my day job for the next 20 years. So I said, look, I don't want to give up beer altogether, but let me have a go at doing this book. So eventually, about four years after we invented it, I came up with a manuscript that was the first good beer guide to Belgium and Holland, and it took off from there. And I guess at the time, the landscape was completely different. Obviously, now you've got loads of blogs and, and everyone's writing about beer where you didn't have that so much? There was very little. I mean, it, it's fair to say that the one thing we did have more of than we have nowadays is that mainstream media like newspapers and radio programs were far more likely to invite beer experts along and quite a few people had regular columns mm-hmm. because people started getting interested in Belgian beer almost as a brand. I always say it was the Brits that saved Belgian beer because it was Michael originally and then Cameron's efforts with Good Beer Guide Belgium just built on that. And uh, lo and behold, 30 years later, 70% of all the beer made in Belgium is exported, for which they're, they're grateful to us. And how did you go about the research for the Good Beer Guide Belgium? I can <laughs> see that being a uh, an envious task. Yeah, nobody's ever sympathetic when you say you, you have to slog your way through the back streets of Belgium finding these pubs, which in those days... You had very few leads, a lot of it. I remember going to Mons in the south of Belgium thinking there's got to be a beer bar here somewhere. And I literally traped around the streets looking at every beer menu and every beer bar I could find and eventually started just getting one or two things together. There was a good, very good source of information by a guy called Peter Krombeck, who was the person who started the Belgian equivalent of camera. I think he was a computer programmer of some description. And he had this great passion for beer, and he managed to put together a list of, it literally was a list of the breweries, most of the beers, and a few of the beer bars. The whole beer scene is changing so rapidly all around the world. Uh, When I started in the beer thing, early days of camera, there was very little good beer around. We had Cascale still in the UK. Belgians had these weird and wonderful small breweries doing their own thing just because they couldn't be bothered not to. Germany had still got some pretty high-quality stuff, particularly in the south. 
and the Czech Republic had got high quality beers because the Russians never invested a cent in them. And so they were still brewing to old fashioned methods. So that's what it was like back then. And I've said to people many times that if, if, if I'd stood up at the camera AGM in 1980, which was the first time I ever got on the stage, I think, if I'd said, look, guys, 40 years from now, decent, high-quality beer of types you have never even thought of, let alone experienced, will be available in over 100 countries around the world because they make it there. They're going to take old-fashioned beer styles from the UK in, the 19th, in its 19th century heyday of brewing. They're going to recreate them. They're going to then add bits onto them. They're going to make changes to them. And all of that's going to be available to you wherever you are in most of the world. I would have been carted off. And... Um, <laughs> And rightly so, because it never looked like it was going to be like that. The old-fashioned beer scenes like UK, Germany, Belgium, Czech Republic, they've actually moved, in some ways they've moved a lot slower than elsewhere because they've been role models. And in Belgium in particular, two major features of Belgian beer over decades. The first is that they had all these different styles of beer that had somehow survived. And people think they kept making them because these were artisan craftsmen who really cared passionately for their product, etc., etc. Well, that was true. But they were also awkward old sods. And they, they didn't want to give up because the Belgian spirit is everybody comes to invade this country, but we carry on doing our own little thing that's just our local thing and blah, blah, blah. So that's good. But the other great characteristic of Belgian beer, whatever style it comes in, is they managed to do really strange things to beer, but to keep enough balance in the flavor that it's still pretty approachable. For example, you see the Belgian, what would now be called wild and sour beers. So you take Lambic or the Gers or this type of beer that is the origins of, quotes, wild beers, unquote. And they're, much, they're so much more sophisticated than some of the Brett beers that are being made all over the world. Brett brewers are catching up. I think they've still got a couple of decades before they're going to get the level of sophistication that you'll find in a great Gers. And the same goes for the oak-aged beers that sit around in huge wooden tons for 18 months before they leave the brewery. Um, those are so much more sophisticated than the sours that you find in the modern beer world. And do you think the attitude towards Belgian beer has, has changed at all? During the 80s, 90s, even after the turn of the millennium, most of the uh, pizzazz around Belgian beer was in the US and in the UK, Netherlands, some in France. And in Belgium, you'd see you know, a few young guys drinking them with enthusiasm and a few old guys just open mouthed, why have these tourists come to my bar? Once this crazy lockdown is over, if you want a recommendation for the nicest city to go and have just enough, enough beers, all of them made locally, often made from with using the local hops, where Slovenian hops are becoming some of the best, and a fabulous city designed by an architect who obviously thought, when they've got uplighters, what buildings are going to look most majestic? Let's put some really temple-like buildings next to bridges across this beautiful river and then string a load of bars in front of it. Ljubljana was a real eye-opener. Do you have a, a desert island beer? Beer is so broad. I mean, I know excellent beers from 3% to 14% alcohol of every different type and format and style. And it's the breadth that's great. And I'd still come across beers where I just pick it up and think, God, that's clever. I think it's a really entertaining beer. I have no idea what it is, but it's great. And that's the joy of you know, sampling beers of all types from everywhere. It's, uh, I, don't, I, think, I don't think I'll ever get tired of it.
Is there anything, in, any beer in particular that you'd like to mention before we wrap up? I, the only thing I would like, and, and it's it's partly because the, the, the guy who made it uh, was a friend of mine and who died during lockdown, uh, not of COVID, uh, Roger Ryman, the head brewer at Stostel. He created a beer called Proper Job, and uh, I don't know what it's like in the rest of the country, but in virtually every supermarket chain now in Bristol, where I live, Proper Job is on the shelves. And it has been my lockdown beer because it is virtually perfect. He called it a Cornish IPA, which was quite funny. And it is just a great beer, and it's so reliable in bottle. At the risk of winding up half the camera membership, it's not quite so good in cask, but hey. (laughs) Desert Island Beer. Really interesting chat. I love what he says about the Belgian spirit and how all these countries invaded it over the years and that they've been able to retain this kind of somewhat awkward spirit about what Belgian really is. It's really amazing as well to hear that he and Roger and a few others all sat down over a beer in Bruges and decided to start the British Guild of Beer Writers, the camera publishing arm and the Good Beer Guide Belgium. All in one evening. Um, I also love the idea that he said if we went back in a time machine to 1980, no one would quite believe the beer scene today uh, and how amazing and how varied it is. I mean, that's quite a humbling thought to remember, isn't it? It is, you know. You sometimes forget just how lucky we are to have such an amazing range of beers available to us and essentially right at our fingertips. You know, lockdown in the 80s and before would have been a very boring place to be beer-wise, whereas Mm. now we're still able to have access to not just local beers but beers from all over the world, breweries, all these wonderful flavours and all at the touch of a button. I'd love to see what a podcast in Belgium would be like. Do you think the Belgians are ready for us to go over there and do this kind of stuff? <laughs> I, don't know. I, I believe it's uh, the Belgian, the French for it is Le Podcast. Oh, I mean, you're on uh, fire with your language today, Mr Bundy. I'm, um, I'm all over this. I've done all my research. I think the, his Desert Island beer suggestion, proper job, that would be one of our showcase beers that we'd have to offer our Belgian counterparts when we're over visiting, isn't it? We've had a few from St Austell doesn't island beer over the over the episodes and i think it was good for adam to pin him down he was he was really pressing him wasn't he to make a choice wouldn't let him go without giving a desert island beer i <laughs> uh, respect that from adam fantastic well now i think it's time to dive into the archive we've got a great article here entitled a potent religion which is by michael jackson not the singer but the beer writer as the beer geeks will know Michael talks about how even though people assume that if you're religious, you're abstinent from alcohol, there's actually a lot of brewing tradition seeped into monasteries being the centre of study and learning. They would create and brew the actual beers and use that as part of the medicine as well that they would make back in the day. Yeah, you're right. You don't really think of monks as kind of having party time, you know, with the beers, <laughs> do you? But, but it just shows that they knew that the best medicine is and always will be beer. They were doing out the potions right back then and the beers were the best ones. And when you think about it, travellers in those days, most people who were travelling were travelling for pilgrimages, weren't they? And the hotels, the only hotels around were monasteries that were often where pilgrims would stay. So when they're offering shelter and food and drink, it's important to remember that water wasn't always fit to drink was it you know the bacteria was yeah, uh, was driving sure. water so beer was the only healthy option they could offer i uh, guess and things so it feels like there's a natural kind of confluence that it would end up with the monasteries being the home of brewing michael tells us in the article that chime was the first monastic brewer to sell commercially and apparently it was world war ii that had a huge role to play in bringing them to prominence because when peace returned to europe they had a huge job in terms of restoring the monastery and the money to raise that came from brewery 
Who knew we'd throw a bit of religious studies in this week, listeners? <laughs> but on that note, I do think it's time for Last Orders. So let's ding the bell. Last Orders. Okie kokie. Well, what have you two been drinking this week? I've been having Delirium, which is a very, very tasty Belgian beer that you can get pretty much anywhere. It's a delightful, very strong, traditional Belgian drink. How about yourself, Matt? Well, I've been having a little special Belgian beer that I saw specially for this. I had good memories of it from holidays. It's called Le Chouf. Uh, I hope I'm <laughs> pronouncing that right. And I, I just remember it as the one with the gnome on the bottle. It's got a picture of a gnome yes. on the bottle. <laughs> I like the fact that it's brewed in a place which was meant to be the mystical home of the Chouf gnomes in the Belgian Ardennes, which <laughs> so I've always liked it. So I've got a special bottle of that to celebrate our episode this week. You two have gone all Belgian and making it all very topical in it. I'm about to come in and say, well, I've not had a Belgian beer this week. We've been banging on about how we've all been away to see people. But of course, last week I was away and saw some of my family and friends and was absolutely delighted to go into the, the local. I'm going to give them a shout out on the show, the White Swan in Great Sutton. And I had expected that there may be one or two ales on, but the bar was chock-a-block with all of the freshest, finest stuff you could muster up. So I was trying all sorts, but the one that stuck in for me while I was sat in the beer garden, socially distancing, was uh, one by Robinson's, and it's called Hopnick Citra. Really, really tasty. Mm. Um, quite overcharged, though, so one of those where you have one and then you have to have a stout just to compensate for the freshness of it. That was my beer of the week. Dead, dead tasty. And thanks to Dave Kaz and the team for looking after us last week, because uh, we were there till the end for a few nights. And just another thanks, actually, for our production team this week. A bit of a special shout out with some strange namesakes because Tim Webb helped edit the interview with Tim Webb, different Tim Webbs. <laughs> but um, <laughs> he, uh, That'd he, be chose confusing. His, he chose his namesake. And Simon Clark took on the interview to edit John Clark's interview. So <laughs> thank you to Simon and Tim for all your help with editing this week. Thanks for everyone for getting involved. We want to thank a few people who have given us some mentions on Twitter as well. Lovely to have the community to get back to us les taylor i uh, got in touch to say i was enjoying the the vegan episode from last week the vegan veggie episode uh, enjoying a cascade hopped home brew it sounds like a lovely accompaniment for the podcast oh, yeah. and he's had a visit from fern and i thought that might be his missus or his sister his daughter turns out it's a horse there's <laughs> a picture of him being visited that. by a horse i think getting the mention of our first horse listener which is nice. uh, it's good to oh, go. We're very, we very keen on expanding into the horse market. So <laughs> yay to all of our horse listeners out there. Uh, uh, welcome, yeah, come back soon. And uh, GB Cornhull as well, uh, just getting in touch to say uh, how the latest episode was great. They learned a lot about veggie vegan things. Make sure to join us next week. We're going to find out where traditional music is in our pubs. And it's going to feature a chat with the Music Venue Trust, as well as a band called the Harp and Monkey, who regularly play in local pubs. And I will end with a quote this week. We talked about countries being defined by their beers and this matches that perfectly. So it's a quote from Frank Zappa and he says, you can't be a real country unless you have a beer and an airline. It helps if you have some kind of football team or some nuclear weapons. But in the very <laughs> least, you need a beer. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How does a free case of beer sound? Yes, you can grab a case for free courtesy of our pals at Beer52 by going to www.beer52.com forward slash people. That's the numbers 52 in the 52 and covering the meagre postage cost of £5.95. And what's more, as a special offer for our listeners, they'll throw in two extra beers for free. So that's 10 unique craft beers. Beer52 is actually the biggest beer club in the world. Each month, they send their members a case of beer from a different part of the world, and this month it's an absolute belter. Their great European road trip case takes in the best beers from across the continent. So try a crisp, refreshing Pilsner from Norway's Lervig Brewery and a monster 7.5 double IPA from Sweden's Derges Brewery. On the dark side this month, there's a smooth stout from Copenhagen's Tool. There's also beer from Croatia... Poland, Germany, Serbia and Austria, among others. And if dark beer's not your thing, you can choose the light-only case. Also included is the ever-insightful Ferment magazine and a couple of tasty snacks. And even if, after all that, you're still unsatisfied, you can simply pause or cancel at any time. So head over to www.beer52, that's the numbers 5 and 2, dot com forward slash people to claim your free case of 10 beers now.